the ability to have those conversations with the different groups that make up the adoption triangle was very beneficial for me in forgiving my birth mom for this this rejection, the initial rejection. Mm-hmm. And I think it also helped us when she did change her mind and we entered reunion. I had a lot of compassion for what she went through. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and ambassador of encouragement. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own. I wish we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? Life can be tough. Storms in life are inevitable. In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor, to offer biblical mindset support and provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension, so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. Welcome to another episode of Anchors of Encouragement. Today, I'm happy to bring to you Julie Ryan McGoo. She is an American writer, a domestic adoptee, and an identical twin. She explores the topics of finding out who you are, where you belong, and making sense of it. She is the author of Twice a Daughter, A Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging. As we're recording this episode, her second book, Belonging Matters, Conversations on Adoption, Family, and Kinship, is set to come out in a few days. Then she has a third book, a prequel to Twice a Daughter, which is due to be released in October of 2024. Julie, I want to thank you for being on here and welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you. I was on your website and discovered that uh, we are neighbors in the sense from the same state. Uh, You live in Northwest Indiana and I'm in uh, Southern Indiana and you went to college at Indiana University, which is just uh, up the road from me a little ways. So we have that in common. And then we have the rivalry in common. My dad went to Purdue. So there's the Purdue IU thing. We were talking, (laughs) talking a little bit about the, that rivalry uh, before we got on here today, the old Oakham bucket, for those of you who don't know, that's our, that's Purdue and I use bowl game because typically we don't make it to the postseason. So anyway, it's good to have you here. You have an amazing story that I'm excited for my audience to hear. And as we just get into this today, tell me a little bit about your background, your story, and we'll just pursue that from there. Uh, great. Um, so my twin sister and I were adopted together at three weeks old through uh, Catholic Charities in Chicago. And our parents told us that we were adopted at some point early, early ages, because I seem to have always known. I have a brother that's two years younger. He's also adopted through Catholic Charities. And then like so often happens, uh, my adoptive parents had three biological kids. So our family was a big Irish Catholic family, and there were six of us. And I really never really felt like there was any difference uh, in how they treated um, any of us. 
so that was a real blessing. And then we never really had that much curiosity about our birth parents because we were from a closed adoption. So we knew that there really was no um, information our parents could share with us. When I was 48, I had a breast biopsy in the state of Illinois, which is where I was living at the time. They had a change in their adoption laws. So I got at it and uh, my sister, of course, helped me and we were uh, sort of a team uh, researching and trying to get information um, when my uh, in confidential intermediary reached out to my birth mother, um, she denied contact with us. And without her help, there was no way that I could find my birth father because my um, original birth record didn't have his name on it. So we were really kind of out of luck um, at that time. But then she changed her mind uh, several months later, and we got a chance to meet her. Um, she gave us our medical history, genealogy. She had not told anybody in her family. It was until I came knocking on her door, she was going to go to the grave with her secret. And she grew up um, 1930s, 1940s. And she was um, she was ashamed that she was an unwed mother. She went away to Chicago with a friend. Her family never knew. She'd never even told her husband that she had given uh, two girls up for adoption. So it was, I think for her, a really beautiful moment to meet us and know that uh, we had had a really good life because she was very prayerful and was hoping that that was the case for us. She has a little stinker too, though. She didn't give me exactly the right name for my birth father and we couldn't find him. So mm. I only had half of my medical history for almost two years. Sometimes, you know, you get that little idea in your head that there's something you're missing. I I just had this brainstorm, like, you know, I knew where they were from. I knew where they met. I knew where they dated. And I went to the genealogy website and there was a genealogist in Rochester, Minnesota. There was only one. Mm -hmm. And um, I contacted her. It turned out she was an adoptee also. And that's how she got into what she does. She had a really good relationship with the people in the city directories. And she went and like camped out and went through all the records that um, began with the, the right last name. And she came back to me within days and said, I don't think you have the right guy. Oh, I, wow. think I think your birth mom um, gave you sort of the right name because it's mostly the right name. And she said, this, this is the man. I'm pretty sure this is the man. So we drafted a letter um, with the help of a social worker at Catholic Charities and uh, contacted him. And he also did not want to meet us. But the big favor that he did for me was that he told his son and daughter that there were two women out there that uh, were interested in getting DNA and proving that they were related. Well, the best part of the story, which is um, I'm not going to do too much spoilers for the book if people mm -hmm. want to read it. Um, is that my half brother reached out to me by phone. We, like you do when you talk to anybody, you're, you know, who do you know? What did you do here? And we figured out a connection 
uh, between us that was astounding. And um, it turns out I knew his wife, but how how we knew each other was so close that literally he and I were walking past each other um, on many occasions and just had no idea that we were related. So we got together and we, I'm very close to my brother. I'm very close to my sister. My adoptive mom was not really that crazy about me trying to find my birth parents. She was worried. I think, I mean, even though I was a middle-aged woman, I think she was worried that she was going to lose us. Mm -hmm. And my dad um, was very positive and very helpful. And I think he was instrumental in kind of getting her to come around. But when I figured out this connection with my half brother, because she, she knew all of these same people too, it was immediate, a true God moment in the sense that there was so much healing and so much coming together and so much joy. I mean, it really, it was five years in the making to get to that point. And, uh, and then being able to write about the story um, because of all the ups and downs has been transformative for me, but for a lot of people like me who mm-hmm. are middle-aged um, adoptees with no idea how to go about uh, the journey of finding your answers and getting uh, frustrated by setbacks. Um, I think because I had my twin sister by my side through this whole process, um, encouraging me and both of us kind of boosting each other up, we got to the finish line. And I hear from adoptees all the time how much um, my me writing the story was helpful to them and gave them encouragement to keep pressing through the obstacles they faced and in, in, in finding their story. That's an amazing story. I mean, you're older, so the, the closed adoption back in the 60s, that was that was a tough nut to be able to to crack to, to get the information. I know, you know, we adopted m- many years later. There's an adoption registry in Indiana mm-hmm. that at a certain age, if all the parties are agreeable, you can go to that registry to find your your family your birth family. So we've always encouraged our boys that, you know, if they desire to do that, we'll support them. We'll be right there with them. However, they want us to to help facilitate that. But it's, you know, one of those things where I just can't imagine you being at that age, trying to figure out what a birth, what your medical history was and not knowing that must've been just frustrating. Was your uh, identical twin, was she nervous too? And you had to go get the biopsy and uh she was um mm-hmm. it was a, a, an astounding thing that she never has had the same health issues that i did mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know i mean i got all the way to the end of the sto- to the journey and all of those health issues seemed to go away once we figured out um our family history some of the interesting things that we found out which I think anybody who's an adoptee and then also an adoptive parent, when I grew up, we identified with our parents' cultural backgrounds. So my my dad's family was Irish Catholic and my mom's family was German. Mm-hmm. And without knowing what we were, we just took that on ourselves. And uh, my dad was very involved in all sorts of Irish customs and uh, festivities in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I actually was involved in the St. Patrick's Day pageant when I was a teenager, 
but I always felt like an imposter because as much as I look Irish, I didn't really know if I was. Finding out from both of my birth parents, to my relief, my um, birth father was, uh, he's half Native American, but he's also half Scotch-Irish. So the imposter syndrome thing has gone away. I mean, I really do feel like um, that I identified with who who I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other half of it, the the Native American piece is, I'm still... um, trying to figure out how I think about that. I didn't grow up knowing anybody who was Native American. And it turns out, I mean, my birth father was very Native American. He didn't look it because he looked more um, Scotch-Irish, but my birth mother also has Native Americans in her side of the family, which back then that was one of those things you didn't talk about. It's not desirable. I have connected with some first cousins through Ancestry and got together with them recently in Chicago, and they were showing me pictures of some of our aunts and uncles who look very Native American. So while none of my kids do, I mean, it's, you know, it's 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 grappling with what you don't know about yourself and what you feel like you want to latch onto for your identity. So I think our identities are formed as we're growing up. And assimilating new information uh, at middle age is a tough thing. Yeah, I can imagine. I know we tried to share what information we had with our boys. And it's funny that you mentioned Native American because my oldest has some Native American in him, too. So my wife and I, we aren't uh, Native American at all. So it was just an interesting fact for him to understand about himself. And so these pieces, like you say, trying to assimilate yourself to these things, it's a process and filling in these missing pieces all these years. That's pretty, pretty profound when you're starting to find out this information. I'm really fascinated by your book and the topics in your book. How did you go about creating this in the first place? What did you use to create it? Well, there were a lot of things that, um, that I had to go back to some old journals of mine and pull out and try and remember what it was that I was thinking about as a teenager. And the funny thing about those journals is I had put them away in a box, taped the box all up. And I have an essay about this in uh, my new book that comes out, Belonging Matters. My husband and I were um, downsizing. Our last child had gone off to college and I was, we were going to move and I was cleaning out the basement and I came upon this box that was at the back and the bottom and dusty and I opened it and here were all my teenage journals, psychedelic, you know, notebooks, spiral Mm -hmm. notebooks. And I, I literally stopped everything I was doing and, and reading them. And at the time I was writing the book, but there were holes that I I needed to fill. And the journal was like finding gold. It literally tapped into so much forgotten information about myself that I was able to put in the book because of the journals. And I still journal. You and I were talking about this earlier. I love to sit down with a pen and paper and just see what comes out because I think Our subconscious brain is working on so much, like when we're sleeping and 
you don't know really all of what you think about something until you sit down and actually write it. And I think that's why writing sometimes is so hard because you don't know what you think, but mm-hmm. you just have to free write and get it all out. And all of a sudden there's this kernel of a very important idea and it makes sense and it fills it fills a hole in, in in what you think about yourself or what you think about anything. I didn't always think about being adopted when I was a teenager. I had I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate. I grew up with a full sibling. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very aware that that makes me different than a lot of adoptees. That was a huge privilege. Um, I'm very, very grateful to Catholic Charities, too, because they had a policy of not splitting up twins. It, it's It's been definitely one of the best things that came out of my closed adoption. I, I literally every day would look at her and know exactly what who I looked like. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that's hard for adoptees is, you know, we look at her hands and her feet and her hair and who who did I get this from? Who do I look like? Right. Uh, even biological kids. Some of my kids uh, look alike and two of them don't look alike. And for the longest time, we just kept making a joke about it, said, well, you got the mystery genes, <laughs> painting my um, adoption history. But um, we figured out a lot of things now because I um, connected with both my, both sides of my family. Um, uh, my son uh, has the ability to grow a beard in about three days time. And that was not the case (laughs) with my husband. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I, once I met my birth mom, she showed me pictures of her grandfather who was a uh, messianic uh, Jewish rabbi and the beard Mm -hmm. (laughs) that he, he had in the picture is, is similar to what my son has. Oh, wow. a, A lot of, um, fun little, you know, I's got dotted and T's got crossed in, uh, as a result of the search. You know, I'm glad that, uh, you've been able to put those pieces together as you've gotten more information through the years, circling back to your sister, your identical twin, was she processing this information? Like you were processing it younger as with the journaling? No, she really wasn't. And, mm-hmm. and search, um, while she was helping me with it, she was working full time and I was not. So mm-hmm. I was the researcher. Okay. And I think because I had the health issue, I was fully invested in getting to the end of it. Sure. Um, so I really took more ownership of it, I mm-hmm. think, emotionally. Okay. Uh, we were both disappointed when our birth mom first denied contact with us. Uh, mm-hmm. That was heartbreaking. And one of the things that I love to talk about in this process was I didn't know where to go when she first rejected us. I was absolutely devastated because mm-hmm. as a mother myself, I couldn't imagine not wanting to talk to or meet a daughter that I had given up. I I, I just couldn't imagine that she'd have that attitude. So I I was seeking understanding about it. And because I was connected with Catholic Charities, they have a post-adoption support group. Now it's virtually, which is kind of a good thing because of COVID. Um, And the support group was made up of adoptees and birth moms 
Um, there was one birth dad and some adoptive parents. So to be put in the same room or same space and be able to talk honestly, the birth moms explained what their thinking was that, you know, this, this painful period of their time, they had a lot of deep regret and, but they had so much shame The the ability to have those conversations with the different groups that make up the adoption triangle was very beneficial for me in forgiving my birth mom for this, this rejection, the initial rejection. Mm -hmm. And I think it also helped us when she did change her mind and we entered reunion I had a lot of compassion for what she went through. My birth father didn't want to marry her. They were different religions. That was a big thing in the Catholic Church back then. You, you know, you had to be Catholic to be to get married and somebody had to convert. And so they had they had a lot of obstacles and uh I think the support group was very helpful in um us going the distance in our reunion understanding one another. I know when when we did our home studies that I'm thinking of one in particular, we met a birth mother and she told her story. It was interesting because our uh, social worker had told her story to us beforehand. And she said, I had never seen someone cry puddles. Oh, I love that puddles. And she she was a young woman. She was wanting to pursue college yet she found herself pregnant and she thought in the best interests of everyone especially her child she said i'm going to make this adoption plan but when it came time for her to to give her child to the adoptive couple that's when she cried her puddles having seen her and then i saw my oldest son's birth mother when she handed him to me and started crying i saw how much it broke her heart these support groups are are beneficial not only for the adoptees but the the birth parents and you know it's good for us adoptive parents to know what uh, our kids are going through to help them navigate these challenges. When you talked about writing your memoir and and the the journals helping you fill the pieces in, did you consciously or why did you begin journaling in the first place? You know, as a as a teenager. Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know if we had something in class that we had to um, journal, but I had this big, crazy family. Um, we were 16 years apart from top to bottom with six oh, wow. kids. And I think I needed a quiet space. And I would go into the the living room with these notebooks and I was alone and I loved it. And I mm-hmm. think the journal was was my way of being able to think um, and and work through a lot of things about, you know, being a teenager, but also uh, being adopted and uh, being a twin. I always was compared to my sister. You do get compared. He's athletic. She's not or whatever. But my sister and I were always lumped together and um, trying to become an individual was something that uh, teenagers are always trying to work out. And that was like the big issue with my journal was, was uh, working what, out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to uh, be and uh, how, to, how to be different than my sister. And so. That you had that, that insight at that age. It reminds me of the, 
the Anne Frank quote, you know, she was trying to, well, she had really difficult situations she was living in, but she would say things like, you know, papers more patient than people because you know, she could just tell everything to her, her diary just to help her process what, what she was going through. I shared this with you before we started and I've shared it a lot on the, the podcast, but my oldest was journaling to, to process his feelings, feelings he didn't understand. And I'm hearing that's what you were processing your life and processing the relationship with your, your identical sister, identical twin, and then your other siblings as well. But it's really cool how it's come full circle for you now to help you fill in the gaps to write these books you've written. I guess the first book, it was filled in the pieces. But now, can you talk a little bit about this second book? Because I, I know that's coming out soon. Uh, the second book is, a, a, like I said, a collection of essays. So okay. I have a, a blog that I have been writing for um, six years. Mm -hmm. And I also write a column um, from my local paper in Northwest Indiana. And I've had some other articles published. So it's a compilation of pieces on adoption. Uh, some things have to do with the adoption search and reunion and snags that I, I went up against. And mm -hmm. then there's some heartwarming stories about meeting my first cousins for the first time, how I feel about the cousins that are, are not biologically related to, but I grew up with and how dear they are to me as a result. And I think that that, that issue of kinship and family mm -hmm. is really an important issue. There are people in our lives where we're very, very close to them, but we're not related to them. Mm -hmm. And that's kinship. My family, I had four kids, uh, four busy kids, and there was always funny things happening. So I've got some essays in the book uh, about things that the kids did or things my husband said. So it's a, it's a lot of different topics. Um, mm -hmm. And I think identity and family is the theme that runs through the, the whole collection. The third book, which I'm having really a lot of fun writing um, because I'm using my journals again. Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's what happened from uh, my sister and I being adopted all the way through uh, when I get married and have my first child. And there are a lot of family childhood stories that I had to go back to the journals to get information from, but I've also had long talks with my sister about what she remembers and my mom. So uh, writing this third book, the three of us have gotten closer together as we try and, and kind of put some of the puzzle pieces together. My mom, I have a lot of respect for her. She uh, had a lot of infertility issues before she adopted my, she and my dad adopted my sister and I, and then some uh, difficult pregnancies in between my um, the three siblings that are uh, their biological children. So family building, we can use that term, is very strong in the third book. And the resounding message is you can go through a lot of difficulty in life if you have like shared values and you know that you're loved. Uh, and I think that that is uh, a lesson of hope, especially these terrible political times that we're going through, this conflict in the Middle East, the common ground that we can find with people, if we have a common understanding, can get us through a lot of turmoil. And I 
I do pray a lot about what's going on in, in the Middle East right now because there isn't any common ground or understanding. I'm not mm -hmm. sure how that conflict resolves itself. I'm thinking there are a lot of adoptees that will hear this uh, podcast episode and hear your story who will want to read your book because facts won't be the same, but stories are similar. And when they can understand, there's other people who, like yourself, who have processed this over years and now are is telling her story. I think it can give them comfort that they can process it as well. And they can start to see hope for their, their own uh, situation, their own story, because at different ages, different, you're going to process the, your feelings about it being adopted in different ways. And so you've had the range of looking back at how you were processing it early and now you're sharing all this. So this is going to be really helpful. I'm, I'm so glad you've been on here with each one of my guests. I like to to end the episode with some kind of a daily doable, some action step that they can take to start to implement what uh, we've talked about today. So if you could just share maybe one thing you think would be helpful for, and it doesn't matter if it's adoptees or adoptive parents or, or birth parents, what would be something you would suggest as we wrap up today? Uh, I have an essay in my the collection coming out, Belonging Matters, and it came out of a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, and the title of the piece is called The Happiest Moment. This friend of mine asked me this question, and it I'm going to pose this to the readers. Sit, sit down, uh, and listeners, sit down and think about the happiest moment in your life and try and figure out why you are calling it the happiest moment and, and what it was about that moment that made it joyful. Because I think it when we think about happy things and joyful things, it puts some of the noise in our life out of our mind for a while. So the happiest moment. I like that. And I will encourage people to, and I like to do this. I'd like to set the intention before I go to bed. And so I'll ask something like that. And as you said, our brains work all the time. And our minds will work on that, answering that question. So that's really, really cool. Thank you for uh, sharing that. And thank you for being on here. As we as we wrap up here, tell the audience uh, how they can uh, reach out and find more information about you. I know you have a website, you have a book out, a book coming out, and a book to come out in the next year. So how can they reach out and, and find out more about you? Um, well, my website is juliemcgewauthor.com. There's a lot of material on there for adoptees, uh, as well as a lot of my writing. Mm -hmm. And um, my books are available wherever books are sold. So I'm not going to give the big plug to, to Amazon because you can find them on bookshop.org, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. And oh. all of them are going to be available in audio. Okay, cool. I will... Uh put all this information in the show notes so people can can just click on links and go there. And so I can have multiple ways they can, can get your book and so forth. Well, Julie, again, thank you for being on here and uh, thank you for sharing your story. It's inspiring and I'm sure it's going to inspire others. Thank you for having me. If you are an adoptee and have wanted to know about who you are and where you came from, I hope Julie's story will inspire you to not give up. Here are a few of the takeaways. 
Conversations with adoption support groups can be a catalyst for understanding, forgiveness, and even compassion. Journaling can be a powerful tool for adoptees to process your emotions, explore your identity, and even tell your story. And finally, from the Daily Doable, think about the happiest moment in your life and ask yourself what it was about that moment that made it so joyful. Please check out the show notes for links to get Julie's books. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. If you know someone this episode would bless, please share it with them. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.